Hi. The first Bible reading is in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, and it's found on page 646 of your Pew Bible. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And the second reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 11 verses 1 to 28, which is on, can be found on page 735 of your Bibles. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. 
Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good morning. Uh, My name is Steve. I am halfway through a traineeship here at church, uh, and it's my daunting privilege to bring God's word to us this morning. Uh, as we start, I thought we might play a bit of a word association game. Don't worry, you don't have to say anything, stand up, do anything in public. Just, I'm going to say some words, and I want you to think about the first word that comes to your mind when you hear that word. Holidays. City rail. Spaghetti bolognese. Prayer. Now, each of these words will prompt a different response uh, in each of us, but I think there are few words that have the ability to make Christians feel guilty than the word prayer. Uh, In recent years, I've met up with many different people to read the Bible and pray, and if I ask them the question, so how's your prayer life going? Uh, Invariably, I'll get a response along the lines of, could be better, followed by a little bit of a cheeky, guilty smile. Does that sound familiar to you? When you hear the word prayer, do you get guilty thoughts, thinking that, oh, you know, I should be doing it more, I should be doing it better, or my prayer life's pretty rubbish? If you're a Christian here today, I want to say three assumptions. Firstly, you want to pray. Secondly, you find it hard to pray. And thirdly, you want to get better at praying. Now, the good news is Jesus wants to help us get better at praying. Uh, We pick up this story as Jesus teaches his disciples. They're asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to learn to pray like you. Now, it's not rocket science to realise that getting better at something uh, requires learning. It requires a teacher. We live in a society that loves to learn. We head back to uni and do our MBA. We sign up our kids for music lessons. We buy books to teach us how to prune our flowers, we go to evening classes at the local high school to learn how to do French provincial cooking. I don't, but you might. Uh, We love to learn. But learning is a humbling experience. 
Because when we learn, we admit that we don't know all there is to know about something. Last year, I took up learning the drums. And uh, to be honest, I thought, you know, how hard can it be? Banging a few skins and hitting this other thing with my foot. Friends, it turns out that playing the drums is very hard. Learning is a humbling experience. And as we look at God's word this morning, we need to humble ourselves and allow him to teach us what we still need to learn about prayer. So please keep your Bibles open to Luke 11, and let me pray that God would help us. Heavenly Father, as we continue to look at your word this morning, we ask that you would humble us. Help us not be proud. Help us to realise there is still much more to know as we seek to live in a way that brings you honour. Heavenly Father, please teach us how to pray. Amen. Let's not forget uh, that we're partway through a series and we need to understand where we're up to here in the biography of Jesus' life. Jesus is on a journey towards his death. He's marching with his disciples toward Jerusalem and the whole reason he's going to Jerusalem is because he's going to die. In his journey, he's facing serious spiritual opposition from Satan, who is tempting him and who is desperate to do whatever he can to see Jesus cancel his mission to bring about his kingdom and his salvation to the world. Jesus is going to die soon, and prayer will be a really important and essential part of preparing his disciples to follow him, to stand up against the spiritual opposition that will come, to protect them against the evil one, and to help them to honour God. Friends, Jesus isn't teaching about prayer in a vacuum. He's teaching his disciples in a dangerous world. And he's teaching us about prayer in a dangerous world too. Our world is on the whole one that hates God. It hates Christians. And it's a world where Satan will now continue to try and distract us from what's important. Satan will do whatever he can to help us to forsake God's kingdom. His kingdom is there and it's real and he doesn't want us to be a part of God's kingdom. So let's keep this in mind as we, realize, as we, we read Jesus' instructions on prayer. There is a battle going on uh, and Jesus wants us to be a part of his kingdom. Take a look with me from verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he, had, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now here we read the Lord's Prayer, as, as it's known now, and it's packed full of goodness that we could really swim in for days. Now, you'll be pleased to know we won't be swimming in this for days, but I wanted us to focus in on two things that stand out. The content of prayer, what Jesus wants us to know about what our prayer should look like. Two things. Prayer starts with a right understanding of the holiness of God, and prayer is humbly asking God for the things we need. Let's take a look at these one at a time. Firstly, when we pray, we must understand that God is holy. He's not like us. 
Jesus starts by saying, Hallowed be your name. We are confessing, God, you are holy. May your name be made great. May everyone know and revere you as you deserve. We pray this because we confess that there is no one like our God. No one. God alone deserves all praise and all honour and all glory. God's name should be hallowed. We pray this also because God's name is not hallowed. It is not revered in our world as it should be. God's name is used as a curse. People laugh and mock and ridicule God. People write foolish books like, God is not great. Some people don't even want to acknowledge that God exists. Friends, it is so obvious that God is not revealed as he should be, as he one day will be. That day when we all say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And so because of this, we pray that in our lives and in our world, God's name would be hallowed. Secondly, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come. We pray this because we know that Jesus' kingdom has not fully, has not reached its fulfilment yet. Jesus is coming back to bring about his kingdom. The world won't always be in the mess that it's in now. One day there won't be bushfires. There won't be retrenchments. There won't be schizophrenia. There won't be dementia. There won't be loneliness. There won't be depression. There won't be sickness. There won't be heartache. It'll all be gone. So we pray that Jesus will return and bring about that day when everything will be made right, when Jesus will rightly be sitting on his place on the throne as the ruler of all things. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Friends, a right understanding of God and his coming kingdom is essential to prayer. This is the cornerstone. If we get this wrong, the rest of our prayers are in danger of being self-centred and short-sighted. So there's a very clear implication as we read the start of this prayer from Jesus. Do my prayers and yours reflect a desire for God's name to be honoured and glorified? And do they acknowledge that his kingdom is coming and that we want it to come? This is the first part of Jesus' prayer. Secondly, we see Jesus show us that prayer is about asking God for the things that we need. How easy it is to forget that everything we have, that breath you just took, is a gift from God. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is Hosea 13.6 because it so aptly describes how we so often can live toward God. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud and then they forgot me. Prayer is such a humbling thing to do because when we pray, we are basically just confessing our complete and utter dependence on God as our Father to provide all the things we need. We are not in control. We need God. And so we pray and confess that we are relying on God to supply us with everything that we need. So what do we need? Well, Jesus explains in the latter part of this prayer. Give us each day our daily bread. God, supply me with everything that I need for today. I need food. I need shelter. I need to provide for my family. Father, give me these things. 
Father, forgive us our sins. We are in desperate need of forgiveness. Jesus has died for our forgiveness once for all, so all who trust in him will be forgiven. But we need to continue to bring our sin before God and confess it, that our relationship with God might continue to be right. We pray that God would help us to forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, we need help with that, don't we? And we pray that God would not lead us into temptation. He would deliver us from evil. These are the things we need, daily provision, forgiveness, help to forgive others, help to avoid temptation in all areas of our life. Of course, there are other things that we need, like car parks and jobs and a place to live. And we can bring these things before God too. He knows we need these things and he wants us to depend on him. So the next implication for us is this. Do our prayers reflect a dependence on God to provide our needs? Or are we proudly trying to push on, trusting in ourselves to get by and make it and uh, supply our needs for ourselves? After talking about the what, the content of prayer, Jesus gives us some great illustrations to help us understand uh, how we should pray, the method. Now again, there's much that could be said uh, on this, but let's focus on just one thing. Jesus wants us to be bold and persistent in prayer. Uh, I came from Canberra a little over 12 months ago, and uh, Canberra gets a bit of a bad rap, and to be honest, a lot of the time I'm happy to join in. Uh, Canberra, there's this great article in the Good Weekend a couple of years ago uh, about the ghost town of Canberra in winter. And it's true. It could be 7 o'clock in the middle of winter, and you'd be lucky to find someone wandering around in the middle of town. Uh, it's cold, and everyone just wants to go home. And everything just shuts down. Um, now, to be honest, I thought, moving to the big smoke, things would be a bit better. Turns out, um, Sydney, a lot of stuff shuts down quite early too. Trying to find a coffee in town after 9 o'clock on a Friday night, a little bit difficult. So imagine it's midnight. We're here in Sydney, and you've just picked up a friend from the airport, and you've brought them back to your place. Now, they've just been eating plain food, or probably trying to avoid eating plain food, and they're hungry. But you've got no food in your house. Woolies is closed. Coles is closed. Even the 7-Eleven is closed. So what are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd head around to Mark and Anna Smith's place. <laughs> I'd jump in the car... And I knock on the door. Now, what, do I, what response do I get? Now, I've never seen Mark, you know, with little sleep. Uh, I can imagine a tired, groggy Mark rocking up to the door and just saying, Steve, go away. Uh, we're tired. Don't you know what time it is? I just want to go back to bed. The kids have been up. It's tired. Anna's tired. Don't want to wake her up. Just go away. Mark closes the door and leaves me there. So what do I do? Bang on the door again. Say, Mark, sorry to do this to you, but I'm not going anywhere until you go upstairs and get me some food. Mark would go up and get me the food, not because of our friendship, to prove that, uh, but because of my bold, boldness, my shamelessness, my persistence. I'm going to keep banging that door down until Mark goes upstairs and gets me some food. This is what's happening in this illustration, this strange illustration Jesus gives from verse 5. Have a look at it with me. Then he said to them, 
suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Uh, Then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, of course, it's clear from this story and from the start of Jesus' teaching on prayer that God is just not like this friend who's kind of asleep in bed with his family. God is our our heavenly father. God is not begrudging. Uh, God wants to answer our prayers. And because God is our father... We can approach him confidently, boldly, shamelessly, persistently to ask, to seek, to knock. But we don't do this. Earlier this week as I prayed, I acknowledged with shame how I failed to be bold and persistent in prayer. I have friends, I have family, I have colleagues who I'm still in touch with, obviously not here, who don't know God. And I acknowledge with shame that I rarely pray for these people. I'm not bold or persistent. I'm lazy. I acknowledge with shame that I fall into temptation. But I don't boldly and persistently ask that God not lead me into temptation, that he protect me from the evil one. So it's little wonder that I fall into yet another puddle because I haven't asked God to help me. I think perhaps we could all learn to be more bold and persistent and shameless in prayer. Now, I can anticipate what some of, some of us might be thinking now after looking at that illustration. Perhaps you are thinking, prayer is just about banging on that door until God answers. And I just got to keep on knocking and eventually God will just cave in and give me what I want. Or perhaps it's a little more difficult. Perhaps you have been asking God for something and he hasn't given it to you. You're wondering, why isn't God answering my prayer? Have I done something wrong? Is God upset with me? From this passage, we can see that there are two reasons why God might not answer our prayers the way we like. Let's take a look at verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God might not answer our prayers the way we like because God only gives his children good things. God will never give his children what is bad for them. If your child asks to play with a razor blade or says, Dad, can we go and ride our bikes on the runway? The father will say no. The father will keep saying no. No matter how much the child asks, the child can kick and scream and cry and fall on the floor in a tantrum. But the father, the good father, will not give that child the razor blade. They will not open the gate and let them go and ride their bike on the runway. They just won't do it. The child has limited knowledge. With what the child knows, it thinks... Can't it be fun to ride on the runway? Doesn't see the danger. But the father knows. The father knows more than the child. And the father will not let the child have something or do something that will be bad for it. Now, of course, God is 
infinitely wiser than any earthly father and infinitely more loving. So what is Jesus illustrating here? Well, God, as our Father, will only give us, as his children, good things. And if we ask for th- God for things that aren't good for us, God won't give us those things. So if you're praying for something and not getting the answer that you want, then perhaps, not necessarily, but perhaps what you're asking for isn't good for you. I can look back in my life and see some things, some very personal things that I was praying for that I desperately wanted God to give me. And I didn't think they were bad things. Uh, I was going out with a girl a while ago and we broke up and I didn't like that. And uh, I prayed, you know, God, you know, fix this. I didn't understand why God wasn't answering that prayer. And... Uh, I can see now that that just wasn't good for me. God had other things to teach me. Now I realise that for some of you this is you know, a pretty trivial situation. Uh, you, know, you may not be praying for things like a razor blade or you may not be asking God if you can ride your bike on the runway. You might be praying for things that you think would be really good. Please God, I, I want a wife. Please God... We want to have kids. Please, God, help my husband to come to know you. Please, God, heal my schizophrenia. Please, God, fix my marriage. And I don't know about these struggles that you're going through. And it may be difficult to understand why God isn't giving you what you ask for. And you might not ever understand... But it's not because you've done something wrong and it's not because God's really angry with you. God just doesn't give us things that aren't good for us. And so as hard as this might be, we must lean back and throw our full weight into the goodness and the love of God and trust him as our Heavenly Father. I can imagine this would have been, could have been, quite difficult for Jesus to teach because keep in mind as he speaks these words now to his disciples he's marching his way toward Jerusalem to die to hang on that bloody cross to separate himself from his father to experience the full and entire wrath of God perhaps it was hard to see the goodness of God in this situation and yet why did he do it well for our good and for God's glory Jesus knows what it is to walk a dark path, trusting in God's goodness. The second reason, and uh, the final point, uh, God may not give us what we want uh, because it may not glorify his name. It may not show the greatness and the imminence of his kingdom. We need to remember, back to the start of this prayer, And also to the second part of this Bible reading, that God's kingdom is coming. Jesus expels the evil spirits, uh, showing that his kingdom is near. It's his kingdom. His kingdom is going to prevail. Satan's there doing his thing. His kingdom will destroy Satan's kingdom. He's showing his power. And I wonder if sometimes if our prayers were truly answered, whether God's name would be honoured in our lives and in our world. Or would our name be on it? 
Are we praying for things that would simply advance our kingdom and our honour and our glory? I know I pray for these things myself. Jesus shows us there is only one everlasting kingdom. It's his. And in verse 23, he makes it clear, if you're not with me, you're against me. You're either part of my kingdom or you're not. And our prayers need to reflect that God's kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. God's name needs to be honoured. Jesus wants to warn us about competing with God's kingdom. Now is not the time to sit on the fence. Now is not the time for us to advance our glory and build up our many kingdoms. Now is the time, as Jesus says in verse 28, to hear the word of God and to obey it. It's the time to get with God's kingdom. It's the time to seek God's honour, to spread the news of his coming kingdom and to trust in his goodness towards his children and and to depend on him to supply us with all our needs. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you teach us how we can live uh, in a world that doesn't love you. Thank you for the reassurance that your kingdom is coming, that you will take away all the sickness and sadness and pain and sin of this world. Help us to pray in a way that recognises how great your name is, uh, that your kingdom is coming. Uh, Help us to depend on you uh, for everything that we need, trusting in your fatherly goodness. Uh, Father, please continue to teach us to pray that in all things we might bring you honour and glory.